Welcome to the podcast edition of Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Anne Hill, and every week I explore topics related to dreams, sleep, health, culture, and consciousness. Dream Talk Radio airs every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific Time on KOWS 107.3 FM in Occidental, California. And you can catch the live stream at www.kows.fm. To find out more about Dream Talk Radio, visit my website at anhill.org. That's A-N-N-E-H-I-L-L dot org. Meanwhile, I hope you enjoy this edition of Dream Talk Radio. So here we are. We're on Dream Talk Radio, and my guest this morning is... Um, an author, John Lipsky. John Lipsky is uh, the, a, a professor of acting and playwriting at Boston University, and he is the author most recently of Dreaming Together, Exploring Your Dreams by Acting Them Out. Uh, he's won the Elliot Norton Award for Best Director for his collaboration with a jazz musician on Coming Up for Air, an auto-jazzography, and he's been Associate Artistic Director of the Vineyard Playhouse on Martha's Vineyard and has studied embodied dream work with Robert Bosnack, who is a, a leading uh, Jungian dream worker, and I'm so pleased to have him on the phone today. John, welcome to Dream Talk Radio. Thanks, Anne. It's very nice to be here. Great. Well, it's lovely to have you here. How is the weather back there? Are you in Boston? Well, we're in New England. <laughs> I'm actually on the vineyard. And um, so two days ago, it was spring, and now it's winter again. <laughs> <laughs> it's snowing. Well, you know, that uh, that probably gives you a lot of material for dreaming while awake, doesn't it? Uh, absolutely. I had a little bit of an experience about that this morning. I was I was reading your book where you talk about taking uh, waking uh, stories as dreams, and uh, my car, my alternator is going out, so I can't really. I have to be very creative about not turning on the headlights unless I really need to, and I'm taking it to the shop this morning. But I, you woke up on the coast and it's gorgeous sunny day, and I thought. Perfect. I don't have to use the defroster. I don't have to use the headlamps. And as soon as I went over the ridge, it was socked in. And you know, <laughs> it was one of those things. I was thinking, okay, if this were a dream, what would be what would be the storyline here? Does she get stuck in the middle of the road, and her poor daughter has to hitchhike to high school? Or you know, well, all we know is that your automobile, your self mobile, is um, having trouble. Uh, uh, particularly with his alternator. Yes. And uh, so, you, if depending on how personalized you make your car, I mean, we give names to our cars, um, uh, but we know that your self-mobile is having trouble while everything outside is bright and sunny. Well, isn't that actually that its self-mobile was having trouble when it was totally socked in and and I couldn't see, and other people couldn't see me, <laughs> but somehow I made it through. That seems to yeah, be, even in go. those anxiety dreams, you know, it's like everything was going wrong, and then I then I had to use the wipers, and then so the speedometer didn't work anymore, and people were flashing their lights at me because I didn't have mine on, you know, but I made it there. That seems to be a good... Uh, that's a good story. It's a good yeah. story. Anyway, so um, I want <laughs> not 
here to have you talk about my dream, but um, (laughs) I actually wanted to ask you some questions about your dream enactment. Can you, um, for those of my listeners who have never heard of this before, what, how would you describe dream enactment to somebody who is, is uh, sort of interested in dreams, but hasn't gone there? Yeah. Well, one of the things that's uh, nice about the way I do it is that you don't have to be an actor to enact your dreams. Um, uh, you just have to be willing to get up on your feet and try to embody them. All sort of like that you would, the way you would tell a story or a fairy tale to kids, that you would act out all the parts. Mm-hmm. Um, so dream and enactment uh, uh, is a way of actually dropping into the story of the dream rather than telling it from the outside. I mean, most of us are used to dream groups where we, um, where we uh, enter the dream through our imagination by talking about it, right. which is a perfectly good way of doing it. But a way of getting um, even more uh, deeply into the texture of your dreams is to act them out. Mm-hmm. And by acting them out, I mean not just from the point of view of the I narrator, the, uh, I was walking through a scary woods. Yeah. Um, I was um, uh, suddenly faced with a trap door that opens up and I slide down into the, um, into the earth. Um, it's actually uh, feeling the um, environments so that you mm-hmm. become the scary woods. And if there's a witch at the bottom of the um, slide when the earth opens up and you hear her cackle, yeah. you actually do her cackle. Um, and by actually hearing the sound of the witch come out of your mouth, you, know, you learn something about her that you might not know otherwise. Okay, so it's different because you're not trying to get at the meaning or or uh, have uh, some sort of uh, insight into why this particular symbol at this time. You're actually allowing it's. It sounds to me like sort of an amplification of the feeling tone and the resonance of all the dream images. Uh, yes, uh, certainly the feeling tone of all the images, but to be more precise, to actually. Um, become the images, Ah, become all uh the characters, all the scenes, all the actions even. Mm -hmm. That if you have a dream of um, cutting off the head of a dragon, there are actually two actions there. There's you cutting the head off the dragon and the dragon having its head cut off. Depending on what point of view you're at, those are two very different actions. Right. And um, the the trick of... um, of acting them out is to keep switching point of view. Yes. Um, and, and, and switching image uh, so that you get um, not just the feeling tone, but precisely who is this person? Who is this character? What do they sound like? Yeah. How do they hold themselves? Uh, I had this dream uh, in which my father, who was, very, um, uh, usually very humorous with me. Mm-hmm. 
he was looking at me very sternly and uh, unusually so and it was only when i entered his body and acted him out looking sternly that i sort of understood what he was um uh, what he was being critical of right um otherwise it was all from my perspective and it was just confusing so there is a there is a, a little bit of the psychological understanding that comes then from from a- enacting the dreams from embodying every part of the dream as fully as we can yeah the one thing that we don't do um is try to interpret the dream uh-huh um and really ask um, you know, what does an elephant mean? Right. Um, that if you have a dream about an elephant, you want to know what kind of elephant. And it's a very specific ele- elephant in your dream. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't ask why. Um, in, instead, you'd ask more, what's that elephant like? Uh-huh. Not why is there an elephant, but what's it like? And right. try, like an actor to get more and more precisely um, a, a way of acting um, the elephant. Right. Um, and it, one of the things that's nice about this is that it's a way of um, doing an end run or a, uh, a, a way of avoiding some of the baggage that comes with dream, uh, with some dream work. Mm-hmm. That people often enter dream work expecting um, a psychological revelation or an emotional catharsis. Yeah, and certainly by acting the dreams out, you can have all of that. But we approach it more like we're just putting on a play. Uh huh. And so it's playful. Right. And there's an attempt to. Um, to enter the dreams uh, in a, a, a sort of theatrical manner so that you don't have to um, have this expectation or burden of uh, interpretation, analysis, prophecy, yes. vision, yes. all of which may come but which can get in your way if it's an expectation from That's the start. Right. We are talking with John Lipsky. He is the author of Dreaming Together, Exploring Your Dreams by Acting Them Out, and he's also a playwright and director and all sorts of things. Um, now, I'm wondering, John, which came first for you, the, the dream work or the... I mean, obviously, I, my guess is, as a playwright and an actor, that came first. So in, in that case, my question would be, how did you get into dream work? What was, what's the story there? Well, um, actually, the two things did happen simultaneously. Oh, they did? Okay. Um, I was working with uh, Robert Bosnack uh, in um, a, a group, mm-hmm. dream, a dream group, in which uh, we were all learning how to uh, enter our dreams through uh, embodied imagination, talking about the dream, and in describing the dream in a group, um, entering the images. And at the same time, I was working with an actor named Tim McDonough um, in my theater group, and he was developing um, 
a way of talking about his method of acting, which he called acting through imagery, hmm. in which he would uh, take a text and image the text, embody the images of the text. For instance, uh, the opening text of, um, of Hamlet is, Oh, that this too, too solid flesh would melt thaw and dissolve itself into a dew. Mm. And Hamlet's feeling very depressed and like he wants to turn into a puddle yeah. of self-pity. Um, so what Tim would do literally would be to let his body drip thaw and um, dissolve itself into a dew. Uh-huh. And he would like slide down a wall to embody that metaphor in... Um, in Shakespeare, and go through the whole text, looking for the images in the text and embodying them. Huh. And I found that we were, um, I was working on imagery with Bosnak yeah. and working on imagery with Megadana. And um, so in my classes, I started to um, have my students uh, work on dreams as a way of developing their acting. Uh-huh. And I found to my surprise that they were having these emotional and psychological breakthroughs mm. because the, it turned out that it wasn't just a good way of uh, working on acting, but a good way of entering dream, uh, dream work mm-hmm. by actually standing up on your feet and going into the images themselves. Which sounds like, uh, as, if, as a creative person, I mean, that entering, finding any sort of avenue into the dream world is a way into our, our creative impulses. So that, probably that, just that practicing, getting into that state and that, that sort of state of being um, is valuable in itself. Uh, yeah, and uh, I think in the way that... Um, uh, in acting, by entering other characters, people other than yourself, you sort of expand yourself. Yes. Well, dreams are filled with other characters That's and right. uh, environments and uh, incidents that aren't normal in your daily life. And so you expand yourself by entering... Um, these dreamscapes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 have a, I think of it as being our Shakespearean stage, that all of us inside have this very wide range of characters that we don't act out in our regular life. In dreams, we are seducers and kings and queens and clowns and uh, mechanical fixers of cars, yes. um, uh, lowlifes, uh, drunkards, um, and uh, by entering the dreams, you begin to find that your uh, imagination is filled with uh, characters that you don't have or you don't express. Yeah in your everyday life. 
So then, so it, it, I mean, and that's one of the beauties of just regular talking dream work is to be able to say, okay, if every part of this dream is a part of myself, therefore, when there's this uh, guy who's holding up a liquor store in the dream, and I feel as the dreamer, I feel repulsed by this character, it's an invitation for me to say, okay, well, what does that why is that person holding up a liquor store? What are they there? You know, why are they there? And what part of me is them? And yeah. it sounds like a similar way of being able to, I mean, more, most broadly, just um, in incorporate the other, capital O, into our consciousness. So it sounds like a great awareness practice. Right. And that's what you do in theater. You inco- incorporate the other constantly. Um but that's what uh, we do in dream work too. Yeah. Um, and one of the aspects of the of the work that I do uh, in theater that um, that adds to that is that I work in ensembles. It's not just individual work. Mm-hmm. Um, so that uh, the uh, if, there, if there's a group of us working on our dreams. I would be in your dreams, and you would be in my dreams. We would play parts right. in the dream. So all, all dreams are both narratives and collages yes. of images. Um, and, or you can look at dreams both as a collage and as a narrative, mm-hmm. most dreams. And if you let the ensemble of uh, actors uh, or participants, you don't have to be an actor, but yeah. just... A, a group of people acting in one another's dreams, you have to put yourself in the other person's shoes mm-hmm. and not only uh, become the other characters, the, the robber in the um, liquor store, um, but you also get to play aspects of the dreamer. Mm-hmm. And so um, the ensemble actually can make um, not only the dream space by have you confront someone at the liquor store um, so that you actually play out. There's a counter, there's a liquor mm-hmm. store, there's a robber, there's me, um, and you're actually playing out the scene. Um, but you uh, also can... Um, can use other people to create the environments, the storm that may be happening, yeah. the um, roller coaster ride that you're on. Um, the other people in the dream can help you put yourself into the geography of the dreamscape. Mm-hmm. So when you work with groups in enacting uh, any given person's dream, it's interesting to me. I mean, I, I've talked to another couple who do this, and they have a slightly different. Well, they have a slightly different set of expectations and a whole, you know, rationale for doing it. So I'm curious, who who gets to who sets up the players in when say there's a group of six or eight people and they're working on Joe's dream. Who does Joe say? Okay, you get to be the you know the uh, guy who's holding up the liquor store. You're the uh, son of the cashier who's in the back room, uh, nervously hiding under the table. I mean, who does all of the uh, the role, uh, the the directing essentially? Well, is that it depends on what level 
uh, of uh, time commitment yeah. you have and the purpose of the group. If there's a group of people who are essentially trying to work on their dream work by getting up on their feet and uh, enacting the dreams, you would have the dreamer um, cast the roles because they could pick people who remind the most of the characters in their dreams. Yeah. Um, although the imagination is quite capable of uh, making all sorts of leaps of, uh, of, uh, of images. So uh, it, it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. a man even playing a man. Right. A woman could play your father. Sure. But it should be the person who is uh, dreaming. Yes. But I've uh, worked professionally with actors who are taking a dream series. Um, people often have uh, and are often unaware that they have dream images that repeat themselves over time. Uh-huh. And those repeated images often change with their circumstances in real life. Yeah. Um, and we've made dream plays out of that, uh, uh, making dream plays out of the sequence. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, I, we did a play called The Wild Place uh, about a woman's um, dreams that she had when she was uh, nursing her first child and pregnant with her second child. And uh, then eventually nursing two children. (laughs) And she's having all sorts of dreams about squirrels eating at her house. And there's a hungry (laughs) crocodile on her kitchen floor. Oh, my goodness. And it's very funny. Yeah. But it's also quite terrifying at times. Yeah. Because she's very overwhelmed. And her house is literally being eaten away. Mm Mm-hmm. Um. But with that, um, I, as the director, would cast the show and would um, uh, treat it like um, any kind of play that I would be uh, trying to mount. Yeah. And um, they, it becomes very interesting theater be, uh, when you establish how the dreams are resonating with what's happening in your everyday life. Uh-huh. So, for instance, at one point when she and her husband were having trouble because there was so much baby action going on in their house, she has this dream in which her husband is sitting in the middle of the floor and um, of, the, of the living room, and he's very calmly, very considerately, lighting little fires. And she says, what are you doing? And he says, oh, I'm burning down the house. Oh, gosh. And she says, no, my God, what are the the babies? What are you doing? He says, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm burning down the house. Wow. And and then when she talks just a little bit, gives a little hint of the tension that's going on between the two of them at the time, it becomes both funny and moving. Yes. So there we did another sh- full-length show based on uh, Robert Bosnack's book, Dreaming with an AIDS Patient, uh-huh. which was much more serious, which was the dream series of a man who was dying of AIDS, 
um, actually started his dream series before he even knew he had AIDS, hmm. um, all the way through to his demise, in which his, as his body um, becomes uh, less and less capable of, uh, of uh, sustaining him, yeah. his spirit is blooming. Uh-huh. And the uh, double action of his uh, finding himself in a compromised position more and more while looking at what he really values in life becomes a very moving uh, emotional statement. Yes, I read part of that in the in the book. It was quite moving. Uh, we are talking with John Lipsky, playwright and actor and author of Dreaming Together, Exploring Your Dreams by Acting Them Out. Actually, I guess, I don't know if you're an actor so much as a director, but I guess every director has to be an actor at some point. Yes, I've done some acting, but um, more I've been watching actors for mm-hmm. 30 years. Yeah. And um, I'm never uh, at a loss of of wondering how they do what they do. Yeah. Because it's a very brave profession. It is brave. You know, it's as it's an introvert's nightmare. As uh-huh. <laughs> like being a more introverted uh, person, I think uh, just, you know, getting out there and uh, letting it all hang out in front of how many people? Oy vey, that does not sound like fun to me. Although I've, you know, you know, in performance, that's it is fun, but just the idea of doing that just... Sure, it can be scary, but it also um, uh, can be really invigorating for non-actors. Some of the best work on dreams I've done with people who have had no acting training and uh, just the willingness to get up on their feet and tell dreams, Yes, they suddenly feel the power of acting. Uh Uh, I remember this one woman in a workshop we had, who had a dream uh, of meeting Mira, uh, Mia Farrow. Oh, yeah. This is uh, the Mia Farrow after her breakup with Woody Allen right. over his mm, marriage yes. of one of her adopted daughters. Yes. And she had no idea why she should meet Mia Farrow, but she acted out all the parts. And we set it up so that there was an actor, uh, another actor who was playing Mia Farrow, and she played herself, mm-hmm. and she went up to uh, Mia Farrow, as she did in the dream, and they simply looked at one another. And the moment the woman who was playing Mia Farrow turned and looked at her, she suddenly felt this enormous compassion for Mia Farrow hmm. and remembered a um, an incident of abuse that was at the center of the dream oh gosh that must have been the uh, the impetus for this dream right but she would never have known it if she hadn't acted it out mm-hmm. and she acted it out beautifully wow mm. because when People know what the image is. Yeah. They acting just happens. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to be trained as an actor. 
um, you just have to uh, be inside the moment. Mm-hmm. That's what acting is, actually, being inside the moment of another place in time. Right. And a dream is another place in time. It and certainly is. And if you can is. enter the moment there, you will be doing acting, yeah. introvert though you may be. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that I like about your book is you start out saying, okay, what is this? You know, acting has this sort of, it, it seems a little bit unattainable to the average layperson. But you make the point that whenever we tell us a dream to another person, if, if to the degree that we embody the voice of the wizard and the voice of the little girl and the voice of the dragon, you know, all of those things in our telling, that is actually a form of, of dream enactment. You know, we, we, we bring it into the fairy tale realm. Yes, and, and even people over uh, telling a dream over a coffee, uh, right. over coffee, will, when they get to an emotionally charged moment, they'll start acting it out, not so that people at the next table will see, mm-hmm. but their eyes will widen, their voice will deepen. Yeah. They will actually become, for a moment, the image that they're talking about without even realizing that that's what they're doing. Yeah. And that's sort of the way I would proceed with anyone who wants to do dream work by enacting the dream right. of trying to make a safe space for that kind of natural acting to happen. Well, and particularly if you have a dream that was very emotionally impactful, you know, if I have a dream of a, of a meteor coming down and, you know, crashing into the earth and there's this enormous explosion and people's faces are lit from miles around. They're all looking. I mean, I'm going to get, I'm going to start using my arm. I'm doing that in the studio right now, you know. Yes, I to, can hear it in your voice. Exactly. <laughs> to impart, you know, just the, the, the amazing uh, power of that situation. So it, it really is, unless we're thinking, unless we are, are totally... Uh, um, removed from the content of our dream and say, yeah, there was a huge meteor that hit the earth and everybody was astounded. I mean, that's not going to make my coffee partner very astounded. And that's oh. kind of what I want to have happen. <laughs> you know? Right. And, and in fact, there's really, in the acting work that uh, we do, um, the only rule is that there's never a neutral narrator. Uh-huh. Right. That you're always narrating from inside the image, even if you have the image of someone who is removed from the scene. Yeah. There's often a quality of that removal. Mm -hmm. Um, And that if you ask the person to put it into their body, put it into their voice, you'll realize that it's actually not neutral, Mm -hmm. but that sense of distance and removal is a quality of personality or a quality of character yes. that you can actually embody. Well, yeah, and not only that, but I think dreams, I think one of the reasons that we dream is to uh, experience more fully our lives and all their aspects. And if, if we happen to be a person who is living at some remove from the uh, direct experience of our lives, our dreams will come with these very... Uh, you know, powerful, emotionally laden images. And to the extent that we can uh, embody those, enter them in some way, 
I, I, you know, I think the, the dreams are always inviting us to experience ourselves and the world more fully. This just seems like a really interesting way that's going to appeal to some people who would not necessarily say, I want to know what my dreams mean and I want to subject myself to analysis. Yes, uh, the, the analysis part is actually the furthest from my uh, interest. Mm-hmm. Um, what I really get excited about for myself and for other people doing this work is that um, if you do it uh, even just a little bit, you begin to notice real life having the quality, just as you said about your car, mm-hmm. um, having a dreamlike quality, meaning an imagistic quality, mm-hmm. where the images in real life um, begin to have both um, symbolic uh, value and emotional resonance. Um, my wife and I had, a, had an incident uh, where it was a Sunday afternoon. Um, uh, we were actually taking a bath, mm-hmm. and it was uh, uh, very intimate and um, uh, relaxed. And suddenly we heard a crash of glass. And I looked out, and on the kitchen floor was a hawk. Oh, my gosh. That had crashed through the kitchen window. And not wanting to be attacked by a a trapped hawk, I went to the outside to look in. By the time I got there, the hawk had hopped back onto the window opening that he had crashed through and disappeared without blood, without shedding feathers, and there was no sign for a hundred yards around the house of any injured bird. Oh my God. <laughs> and it's like, what was that? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> and all I can say is that at that moment in time, a hawk with its uh, far sighted ability to hover over things, yes, its um, ferocious ability to t- attack things, mm-hmm. um, and everything else that you think of when you think of hawks, both uh, archetypally and personally, mm-hmm. that crashed through my window mm-hmm. on a Sunday afternoon. Yes. And um, I've been thinking about that waking dream moment for a long time since. Oh, and, I, and I promise you, I notice every hawk in the sky. Well, I do too. I mean, the more I, the yeah, the more I pay attention to dreams, the more hawks I see somehow. So I actually associate hawks very, very specifically hawks with, with messages. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, it, hawks seem to be reflective to me or, or reflective slash predictive in that funny kind of uh, synchronistic way of things that are happening in my life. So it's. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I didn't mention it, but uh, that's what I felt. Uh, that yeah. uh, more than anything else, it was a dream to pay attention. To pay attention, exactly. Yeah. Yes, because hawks are always paying attention. Yes, they're <laughs> always paying attention. Just right. are. <laughs> I, I should just add that uh, uh, about um, about a year later, um, 
this hawk came and and landed about eight feet from my office window. Mm. And he looked at me for about five minutes, and I looked at him for about five minutes. Yeah. We just looked at one another, and it was a charged moment. Mm-hmm. And then, and then he probably just flew off. And then he just flew, flew off. Flew off, yeah. Leaving me to sort of think about him. Uh, what was that? <laughs> yeah, what was that? <laughs> We're talking with John Lipsky, author of Dreaming Together, Exploring Your Dreams by Acting Them Out. This is Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Ann Hill, every Thursday from 9 to 10 here on COWS. Um, John, one of the things that I found really interesting in your book was the mention of the Dream Cafe. Are it a late night cabaret? Uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, please explain. <laughs> well, um, I've I've done this uh, a number of times, um, uh, fairly uh, recently, um, with my students. We created a uh, collective dream show, in which um, uh, for a number of months we collected dreams. And then we asked ourselves, is there a shape to this dream, this group dreaming? Mm-hmm. Or if we were going to put them in a shape that made some emotional sense, um, what order would we put them in? Mm-hmm. And which ones would we choose? And um, it was uh, a very... Uh, startling form of theater mm-hmm. where uh, we had uh, dream we started with dreams that were um, very innocent uh, one of the one of the women who was in our group had a dream about her first kiss mm-hmm. and everybody listening to the dream was taken away by this kiss yeah. And then there were a series of dreams that turned these uh, kisses um, sour hmm. and um, more perverse until there was a dream of dropping into a pit of fire. Hmm. And out of that dream, another person had a dream of being in a meat locker just hanging from a hook. Wow, very Well, actually, they weren't hanging from the hook. There was meat hanging from the hook, but the way we played it was the actors in the dreams were all Mm -hmm. being the meat, acting this. And it seemed like there was no way out. Yeah. But one person had a dream of riding a bicycle, and she knew somehow that this was Jimi Hendrix's bicycle. <laughs> and she could, she could ride the bicycle without opening her eyes hmm. because it was Jimi Hendrix's bicycle. Wow. And so we got out of the meat locker in this dream show. Right. Riding on Jimi Hendrix's bicycle. And the music started and we climbed our way out of this meat locker cellar hell yes um and 
I can't say what the dream, collective dreams meant, but it was wonderful theater of a movement from innocence to sort of corruption and death and stasis. Yeah. And then finding your way out back into the world on the um, wheels of Jimi Hendrix's bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I mean, of the, course, it was very funny. The, the dream, Meat Locker the is so. Was very funny. I, I don't know. You know the the myth of Inanna, right? She goes down into the underworld and hangs like a slab of meat in her sister's lair, and then is rescued. <laughs> That's exactly what one of the students. Um, alluded to afterwards. Yes, very, very. Well, and that's such that a transformative. Yeah. <laughs> and oh. in fact, it was that myth that we were imaging mm-hmm. because it was so close to what um, the student had dreamt. That's right. And then the bicycle, you know, there were those two little flies or whatever, little insects that finally rescued Inanna. They're, they could be the two little wheels of the bicycle. Oh, indeed. <laughs> indeed. <laughs> nice. Well, I'm so curious. I, well, what, let me just say sure. about, about the Dream Cafe that... Um, we started doing um, collective dream. There are two kinds of dream shows. One is which you you just have collective dreams, and that would be the dream cafe. Uh-huh. And that uh, hopefully people uh, we would do our dreams, and then the next night people from the audience would come and maybe tell some of their dreams, uh-huh. and then we do another set of dreams like a jazz club. Right. But one of the, one of the uh, ultimate goals of this, and we've written some uh, grants to see if we can do it, mm-hmm. is to have as part of the Dream Cafe uh, to bring um, Israeli and Palestinian actors together. Oh, fabulous. And have them enact one another's dreams. Wow. Because you cannot enact someone else's dreams without walking in their shoes. Yes. And without an act of empathy. Yeah. And even if we never talked about the um, uh, difficulties between the people, yeah. the very act of doing the dreams together would be a political statement. That's right. And one of the, uh, the, the larger uh, goals of the Dream Cafe for me is to bring, um, uh, is, is really a reconciliation work. Right. Where you bring people from different perspectives, maybe even antagonistic resp- uh, perspectives together. Yeah. And you have them act- enact one another's dreams. Well, for that matter, you could actually just take, uh, you know, in this country, people that are really poor and people who have a lot of, of income and privilege. I mean, the class issues alone just in one city would be pretty stunning to, um, you know, to work with. Absolutely. There, and there's a, there's a theater company in New York which um, goes into communities, and they and I are hoping to work together on DreamWork oh, wow. to do that as a way of um, uh, telling the stories of communities. Mm-hmm. Because dreams, while being uh, autobiographically based, they're not the autobiography itself. Right. And so in some ways it's safer and in many ways more potent yeah. to be telling one another's dreams rather than the soap opera of one another's life. Well, yes, and I, I, I'm thinking in particular, uh, I wasn't able to take down the book and read the section, but I was reminded of the, uh, the passage in Black Elk Speaks, uh, 
when Black Elk, the Sioux medicine man, was had this dream, and it was a big dream. And so his he got his whole tribe to 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 enact the dream. I mean, it involved everybody. There were horses this color coming in from this direction and that color coming in from that direction. It took a full day to actually enact this dream, and it was a incredibly transformative and powerful uh, experience. Collective it's experience. It's interesting that you mentioned it because I've actually taken that dream. Oh, you have and written it out um, as a dramatic narrative. Really? Um, and the way I, I, I never have got been able to mount this, uh-huh. but I wanted to um, mount it with both an actor and a um, uh, signer, uh-huh. a, uh, so that you realize you were getting a translation of a translation. Yes, right. And if you've ever seen, in a, a dramatic situation, uh, signers... Oh, I always watch the signers. The signer is so dramatic. Oh, yeah, it's great. That it would be so exciting to see those horses coming from the West, the horses coming from the East, yes. being enacted in sign language as well as in actor language. Well, then you have a much more a, a much more current memory of the dream than I do. I was just recalling it, thinking about the collective power of enacting dreams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fascinating. Well, I, I I definitely come out to see that show. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, I've never I, 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 that I have it. I have it written out, but I've actually never gotten a, a chance to mm-hmm. mount it. But it's very powerful dream, yeah. um, and it's a very sad dream because yes. In the end, the hoop of his nation is broken. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We are talking with John Lipsky here on Dream Talk Radio, and um, it's interesting to me too. The I what now? What I'm considering this archetype the the way that dreams are connected with cafes. Interestingly, I, I you know read the the uh, part of your book where you talk about getting the dream cafe up and running. And so before uh, you came on today, I I played the song. Do you know Greg Brown's song Dream Cafe? No, I don't know. Oh, Is it it's song? a great song. Yeah, oh, so I, I played that, and I wanted to tell you that one of the Probably the initiatory dream for me in realizing that dream work is something I really wanted to pursue, or just dreams in general, was a dream that I had short, uh, probably in the early 90s when I first started doing group dream work. And in the dream, I'm on Mission Street in San Francisco, and I'm walking down, it's about twilight, and I'm walking down towards Cafe Commons. Except in my dream, it's not Cafe Commons. It's called the Gnosis Cafe. And it's getting a little dark on the street, but the, the windows are really nicely lit and warm and kind of opaque. You can't really see in, but you know there's life in there. And as I'm turning into the cafe, I realize, oh, I'm, I'm starting to fall asleep now. And then after that, I realize, oh, I'm starting to I'm starting to dream right now and he, this is where I'm going to dream to the Gnosis Cafe. Mm. <laughs> and so it became the Gnosis Cafe became this place, this idea or this um another image, you know, to kind of a metaphor for dreaming because gnosis of course is is self-knowledge without without an intermediary of a book or a teacher. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, direct knowledge and then the cafe has this 
just the warmth and the um, the good food and great conversation, and it's a collective thing. So I actually named my business the Noses Cafe DreamWork just because I I I think it's uh, cafes are very conducive to sharing our dream experience. Well, you know, I think that that's exactly why I've always called the ultimate. Um, goal of this work, creating a dream cafe, uh-huh. that where people could come together, um, and why I've called the book, for that matter, Dreaming Together, yeah. because dreaming alone is one thing, but dreaming with other people um, allows you to come out of yourself into this world, which is much larger than our um, everyday world. Absolutely. Where you where you sort of meet people you wouldn't meet otherwise. Mm-hmm. So I, I I think that I hadn't thought before though that uh, the cafe itself is a kind of archetypal image. I'm I'm thinking so just because I've seen it recur so much since that since having that dream I've been sort of uh, my little radar has been up and looking at cafe imagery. Huh. <laughs> So what what's next for you? It, you're, it sounds like you're um, writing grants to put on the Dream Cafe for longer. So this isn't really this isn't a cafe that's open, you know, twenty four seven. This is a thing that's like a late night. It's like a show, but it's an interactive show that that play that runs for a certain amount of time. Is that right? Yes. That um, that ultimately it would be like a jazz club mm-hmm. where you'd see a set of dreams. Yeah. And then you'd have some coffee or wine with your main squeeze, yeah. and you'd talk about your dreams, and then you'd see another set of dreams. Mm. Um, and uh, that uh, there could be dreams that are rehearsed or dreams that are spontaneously told. Yeah. Um, that we've, we've gotten as far, there's a... a um, theater in Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, called the Central Square Theater, mm-hmm. uh, where some friends of mine uh, are very interested in their small theater having such a, uh, a kind of atmosphere. Yeah. We've done a couple of dream shows, and this is where we've written the grant for another show. So we're not up and running yet, mm-hmm. but every time I talk about... Um, uh, my book, Dreaming Together, or about dreams and theater, I always mention the Dream Cafe, hoping that there's somebody out there yeah. who has a lot of money and <laughs> says, that's a great idea, and is ready to start um, uh, putting their money to work to make the Dream Cafe a reality. Well, it is a great idea. And I, I, my, my guess would be that anybody who goes to the Dream Cafe and sees dreams and then tells dreams across the table to their friends and then sees more dreams, that person is going to go home and dream up a storm that night. Yes, it would incubate dreams. It would certainly really incubate nice dreams. Yeah, and interestingly, it would probably, I mean, I, and, and being a collective venture, my guess would be it would incubate dreams of the type that are very reflective of what is going on in, in one's community. You know, they would be collective dreams to some extent. Yeah, I, 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 think, uh, I think, though, that those people who think communally mm-hmm. would have communal, it would be spurred to have communal mm-hmm. dreams. Mm-hmm. 
And other people who tend to dream very personally mm-hmm. would um, develop uh, very personalized dreams that are influenced by other individuals that they meet. Uh-huh, I find right. that people have dream personalities the way they have waking personalities. Oh, interesting. And they're very, if, if you're in a, uh, a dream group, a talk dream, dream group or a theatrical dream group, if you hear someone tell their dreams, oh, three times even, yeah. by the fourth time, if you saw it written out, you could tell whose dream that was because it would have the signature feel of that person, often, not always, but mm-hmm. often, that some people have very Gothic architecture in their dreams, right. and other people often have um, very um, weird and imaginative creatures in mm-hmm. their dreams. Um, and as I say, people uh, tend to have dream images that uh, are go in a series and morph over time. Yes. You know, I, I'll often dream about the volleyball players I used to play with when I was from the age of 14 to about 34. Hmm. The same group of guys played volleyball, and it was at one point a large part of my life, and I still dream about it regularly. Yes. Well, and every once in a while, the beach that we played b- volleyball on changes so that sometimes there are oil derricks out in the ocean hmm. or jagged coral underneath the waves. And other times the, the beach is huge and expansive, and other times it's narrow and leads to marshes. Hmm. But it's always the same. It's often the same landscape. Yes. Well, on some level, we're all still playing volleyball. We're all still playing volleyball, indeed. <laughs> uh, John Lipsky, it's been such a pleasure to have you on Dream Talk Radio this morning. I want to uh, make sure people know how to get in touch with you. Say somebody has a huge amount of money and wants to fund a dream cafe. <laughs> how do they get in touch with you? Just uh, um, skywriting. I'll, I'll find them. No, um, <laughs> uh, people could email me. I'd be happy to hear from people. Okay. And it would be jklipsky mm-hmm. at gmail.com. jklipsky at gmail.com. Yeah. Very and, good. And, um, you know, if people are interested in dreams and theater or uh, dreams by themselves or theater and yes. how they, the two interact, I'd be very interested to hear from them, particularly if they're doing it already. Wonderful. They're working with dreams and theater. Well, your book would be an excellent resource for actors or uh, directors of any sort that, that as a way to, you know, really stimulate people's um, responses to imagery. I think they've got some excellent exercises in there. Yeah, and I think the book, on the one hand, is for dreamers, and we're on a, a radio show about dreams. Yeah. But really, um, the other half of the work was to use dreams as the text in which actors could train themselves Mm -hmm. to um, really embody images and learn about ensemble techniques, about space, about relationship to audience, um, and about empathy. Yeah. 
Interesting. Well, it so, all... Anne, thank you very much for having me. It's been uh, nice having a real conversation <laughs> about dreams. Well, yeah, my pleasure. And uh, so thank you so much, and uh, we'll be in touch. Very good. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was John Lipsky, author of Dreaming Together, Explore Your Dreams by Acting Them Out, which you can find, I don't know if you can find it in a local bookstore, but you can definitely find it online. John is a, a, a professor of acting and playwriting at Boston University, won an Elliot Norton Award for Best Director, and has been Associate Artistic Director of the Vineyard Playhouse on Martha's Vineyard. So we've been talking all the way over to Martha's Vineyard on this gorgeous March morning here in Occidental. That is the power of radio, folks. You are listening to KOWSLP Occidental. I'm Ann Hill. I'm your host every Thursday morning from 9 to 10 here on Dream Talk Radio. If you are interested in listening to podcasts of the show, you can find them at dreamtalkradio.net. And also, if you go on iTunes, if you're all hooked up with your little iPod or what have you, go on iTunes and just uh, look for Dream Talk Radio. And you can uh, download all of the, the podcasts that I have put up. And I've got some great guests coming in in the next month or two. Um, don't have my list of them right out front. But next week, we'll be talking to Ariana Strozzi of Skyhorse Ranch, who uh, does amazing work with horses and leadership and has some really powerful dream uh, guidance going on as well. And then we'll be talking with Eileen Clegg on the 18th, who is an author. Uh, she's actually a local uh, person out in Bodega Bay. She's an author of a book on creativity, which so we'll be talking about creativity with Eileen. And then on it goes into March and then April. So stay tuned. We've got some really great stuff coming up this spring. And I will be here back again next week. That ends this week's Dream Talk radio show podcast. Thanks for listening. And remember to tune in every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. at www.kows.fm. This is Ann Hill, and I'll see you again next week.